0: Community Radio is your antidote to social isolation. Stay connected and listen to 3CR. 855 AM, 3CR digital and streaming and podcasting online at 3cr.org.au. Welcome
1: Welcome to Unemployed Unemployed Workers Workers Fight Back. Back.
0: Join your hosts Anne and Kevin the second Friday of every month on The Sewer Show
2: between 5.30 and 6.30 p.m.
0: Here on 3CR Community Community Radio. Radio.
2: This is a show where we explore macroeconomic solutions
0: for the unemployed and underemployed.
2: Everyone Everyone in our our community community has
0: value.
2: Well, for starters, this is not the second Friday. It's the fourth Friday of the month. Um, And Anne and I are doing a special show for the coronavirus where we talk about... What's Happening with the Economy from a, a, a Modern Monetary Theory, an MT perspective. Hi Anne, how are you doing? This is a, going to be an interesting show because there's been a bit going on this week.
0: Hey Kevin, we're actually not in the same room. We're usually in the same room.
2: Yeah, I know. But uh, look, we've had to self-isolate um, to put the show on. Uh, and and uh, so let's, let's talk about uh, what's going on this week.
0: So we've got a health problem, Kevin. We live in interesting times.
2: Well, we have a health problem, but what the health problem is uh, is showing us uh, is that our economic system is not really geared for ordinary working Australians when they have a health problem.
0: Well, it's a very interesting time to be an MMTer because in times of crisis, that people are looking for new ideas, and MMT definitely offers potentially uh, a way forward that a lot of people might not see.
2: It's an interesting time for MMTs to explain the real dynamics of the economy and how they affect people, which is everybody, and especially as we're talking to the unemployed, what resources uh, are available to make the human existence better for everyone. And what we're finding is that the economic settings constrain a lot of people's daily existence. And when a system is put under pressure, when it's put under stress like it is at the moment, the, the failings of that system become glaringly obvious. And that's why it It is actually exemplifying what people of our understanding of the economy have been saying for quite some time.
0: The thing that really provokes anxiety around a lot of this pandemic um, issue is the fear of the unknown. And when you take away the unknown in terms of the economics and what's likely to happen there, then I think it actually gives you a real sense of purpose. So that's why I'm seeing the sort of silver lining to all of this. You know, these are scary times and I know for myself, the first time last week that I walked into a supermarket and I saw about one third of the shelves empty, I just felt this cold grip of fear in my guts. It was just like this automatic reaction. The fact that something like that is happening tells us that we don't just have a health problem, we've got an economic problem as well or the health problem is going to trigger an economic problem. So that's where I think having some grounding in macroeconomics gives you, gives me emotional and psychological support, as well as uh, an insight into what's going on. Well, the whole definition of
2: this um, uh, this experience is that it's fear of the unknown. So people uh, are flocking to the supermarkets and cleaning out the shelves, something which is totally unnecessary, but there's plenty of food. Because people don't know the, the dynamics of the situation, they're, storing up, they're stocking up, they're treating it like it's Armageddon. Now, you and I know that there are solutions to this problem economically, which will keep people uh, in the lifestyle they're accustomed to. Because other people don't understand, they're panicking. Uh, Whereas you and I,
0: we're not. (laughs) Taking it easy. Uh, So what MMT tells us, as we saw in uh, the money episode, is that how we're going to pay for Anything around the coronavirus itself or the economic response to the coronavirus is not the question. So, we know that all the government has to do is use its currency issuing capacity to spend, and it will do that in order to stabilize the economy and to move resources around in the way it might want to. And we can get into what that might look like. So, that's essentially the mechanism that the government's going to use. But What we really need to look into at this point is two things. It's how do they target that spending? So what are they going to spend it on? Where do they direct it to? and what is going to be the magnitude of that spending. So how much? So this is where we get to do some big numbers. One of the things I love about macroeconomics is you get to throw big numbers around, like in the billions. We could talk billions.
2: Uh, We've just seen the Morrison government spend initially $17 billion, and they've now come up with a second package, which is $66 billion. And they're already talking about a third package. So this will run into the hundreds of billions of dollars as a solution. But that's That's achievable because, as we know, the government has an unrestrained capacity to spend currency into existence. And if that's what needs to be done, then they should just do it.
0: So those big numbers, you don't have to be scared about them and you don't have to worry about them creating a government deficit. That term deficit is just a technical term. It actually doesn't mean this is money the government has to pay back to anyone because it's money that the government created.
2: Yes, so if you create your own currency, you don't have to pay anybody back. All you're doing is doing what you're supposed to do, and that's create currency um, as required.
0: Exactly. 3TR Community Radio, 855 AM. So let's have a look in a bit more detail at... What, if you and I ruled the world, Kevin, (laughs) how we might diagnose this problem and then go about spending all these billions of dollars, what is the current problem? What's the situation here that this coronavirus has triggered? What's the economic situation?
2: Can I just just say, um, I've heard you talk about this and you talk about um, uh, uh, supply side and supply side, Supply and
0: demand, supply side and demand side. So, yeah, you can sound like an economist when you start saying supply side, demand side.
2: But uh, I'm not an economist and neither is our audience. So, let's, so, let's, so we have this conversation. When we talk about supply side, we're talking about the parts of the economy that supply things to the consumers, that, okay?
0: Yeah, it's a great way of thinking about it. So, the supply of goods and services. So, whoever's making our TVs and our toilet paper, that's the supply.
2: The supply side would be like uh, anybody who makes uh, toilet paper or uh, hand towels. So we need to figure out what effect this is having on them. And the um, demand side is you or I, we go and buy those things.
0: Yeah. So I'll just give you a quick overview of how we might investigate if we're economists (laughs) and we're trying to diagnose what's going on here. And so the first thing we're going to have is, a, and they call them shocks, we're going to have a supply side shock that's going to develop into a demand side shock. Then we're going to have an ongoing demand side shock. So we've got now two demand side shocks. Then we've got an existing situation with the economy where we've got a whole lot of systemic problems that have developed under the rule of neoliberalism over the last probably four or five decades really. And then also this whole business is going to um, unfold globally as a global recession. So I'm imagining like this boxer in a boxing ring and he's staggering around and he's already got you know a blood lip and he's probably got concussion and he's about to take a left hook supply side shock a right hook demand side shock another right hook demand side shock and not only that but the whole ring is about to crumble <laughs> because it's not built very well <laughs>
2: <laughs> will he be able to stand up at the end that's the um uh, that's the big that's question
0: it. well in the distance i can see the mmt hero riding in on a white horse <laughs>
2: <laughs> right. Okay. So, so what's the supply side shock that, uh, that you're talking about that's starting this off at the moment?
0: So, the initial and ongoing interruptions to the, what they call the supply chain. So, for example, I was talking to a buddy the other day and he knows someone who works in these factories that make uh, prepackaged food that you see in airports. You know, you see those sandwiches yeah. and those little plastic triangles and things. And he said three of four factories closed down probably around the 10th of March, not because there was no food, but because the packaging comes from China. So Uh. that's an interruption to your supply chain. And so that immediately causes a supply side problem.
2: And I suppose the issue with this problem starting in China is going to have a more dramatic effect on the supply side than uh, it otherwise might have been had a country which didn't manufacture so much.
0: Yeah, if we were talking, say, Iran or somewhere like that, you wouldn't see quite that global supply-side shock. And then the other part of the supply-side shock is the fact that uh, workers are going to be getting sick and they're going to be going into quarantine. So immediately, even if your factory... Had the little plastic triangles, it would might not have the workers to put the bread into the plastic triangles. So that was also part of your supply side problem. The next part that develops almost immediately, so these things happen pretty quickly and we've seen it already. Like It's just to me amazing how day by day this thing is unfolding. And so your supply side shock is now going to flip into a demand side shock. Why is that? Because now all of a sudden you're going to have workers either in quarantine or being laid off. So we've already seen, for example, uh, we've seen Qantas lay off 20,000 workers, I think it was. That's happened pretty quickly. Now, why do we call that a demand side shock? Because those workers are suddenly not going to be spending in the way that they were because now they don't have an income because they've just been laid off.
2: So no income... They, they're not they're not going out and buying things anymore for two reasons. One, they're they're tightening their belts, and two, they're, they're quarantined at home. They, they they can't get out.
0: There'll be a an ongoing parallel demand side shock. It's the right hook, and that is going to run parallel to these other two, and that's what's unique. The fact that this is a pandemic now creates its own unique situation, and it is also a big part of the unknown. So even the economists haven't seen this one, right? And so we don't know what kind of aggregate behaviour. So we love to talk in terms of aggregates, which means what's the total population doing. We don't know what total population behaviour we're going to see, but we've seen some of it already. So we've seen people already, even before the bans came in, um, not going to restaurants, not going to conferences, not going to pubs and bars. I think uh, I went for that one a bit earlier than you did.
2: (laughs) Yes, I I was slow coming to it. However, having said that, I did enjoy the last couple of shows that I managed to squeeze in before I started taking this as seriously as I should have. (laughs) New order were really good.
0: (laughs) Don't remind me. Okay, so all of those behavioural changes, and they'll be ongoing as this unfolds, they will all um, result in more demand-side shocks as people's behaviour changes. Um, We're seeing it in the arts and entertainment and travel industries to start with, and that might flow on to other industries as well. I mean, I've certainly heard about it in the caring industry, so that now that family members are staying home, they're telling their casual uh, support workers that they don't need them to help care for their disabled or elderly relative. So a whole lot of those people are now going to be unemployed.
2: Okay, well, let's just um, uh, take a moment to to ponder on that, the the, the three hits that we've taken from the supply side and the demand side. Um, Now, as you know, Anne, I'm a big fan of uh, local bands. Uh, There's a band called Cable Ties, been around for quite some time, um, and I'm going to play one of their earlier songs called The Producer. So that was uh, the cable ties with the producer. I'm going to play another one of their songs later on, which I think is quite apt for the uh, for the times we live in. Now we're talking about the hits to the economy, uh, a supply side hit from China, who um, slowed down with their production, and then a couple of hits uh, on the demand side, um, where we people uh, aren't able to work because of the supply uh, constraints from China, and then further uh, further isolation problems with uh, people. Uh, not being able to work.
0: So there, your three immediate shocks, and then they're all sitting. Like We've done our left hook and our right hook and our right hook, and now we're staggering around because we're already bleeding from the lip or whatever because we've had decades of neoliberal-driven ideology managing the economy. Basically, austerity measures based on really bad macroeconomics
2: so so we're, we're talking about the australian economy uh, who's this boxer who's just received a left hook and two rights um and what we're saying what we're saying now is that our Australian economic boxer wasn't in very good condition before he entered the fight in the first place. he was a bit uh, bit shaky on his feet. he was already pretty beaten up he'd been starved the australian government is is his trainer, and his trainer hadn't been feeding him properly uh, and had been giving him the wrong the, the wrong things to do.
0: What this trainer had done is said, you know what, I think we can probably defund public services. So we're going to defund public housing. Too bad if we ever need people to be able to quarantine themselves in secure housing. Uh, We're going to defund the TAFE and tertiary education sector. So too bad if we want to be training people to be good. uh, Health workers. We're going to, in fact, defund Centrelink as well. So just this morning I saw the photos of people lining up Around the block doesn't surprise me because it's been well known that in in the order of fifty million fifty million phone calls every year go unanswered at Centrelink. Now this
2: this thing about Centrelink is quite uh, quite interesting. When I was first unemployed back in the early eighties, and I was dealing with uh, Department of Social Security and the CES, they're pretty helpful. You, you go in there, the the queues were short. Uh, if you wanted to find a job, you went next door to the to CES, which was a government-run department, uh, not privatised out. There'd be a job board and you could generally pick up something uh, and it kind of worked. Then a couple of decades later when I was unemployed again, the system had changed. The The CES no longer exists. You've got all these privately contracted um, job services and you realise that the social security had become this antagonistic beast that you had to... Uh, fight your way through that that had a a million clauses that could trip you up and that the job search program that was privatized and was there for the job search programs not for the the people they're supposed to be servicing you've now got a system which which is it's not a service provider it's it's very antagonistic and it's there to uh to make your life pretty bloody hard if you're unemployed And, and that that that's part of the process of keeping the unemployed numbers down is just to make it so difficult that you just go away
0: the Morrison government are in an interesting situation when it comes to people getting onto New Start because they've had this system in the past decade or so of stigmatizing the unemployed. So you're you're automatically a bludger if you're if you're needing New Start. And they've made it as difficult to get onto it as possible. And then once you're on it, they've made it as miserable as possible. And so now they have to look like that's not what they really do. Because all of a sudden, as part of the impact of the coronavirus, we're looking at a casualized workforce that's part of the existing ongoing systemic problem. So we're looking at potentially over three, another three million people who are casual workers needing very quickly to get onto Newstart. And so the government's got to look like that now Newstart is a good place to go, right? Well, so,
2: so they're using they're using an organisation which makes life as hard as possible for the people that it's supposed to be serving. Now has to turn into this caring, supportive uh, yeah, exactly. uh, agency. And, and, and as you say, they've been starved of numbers. There's been no money um, available to them, so they're all running on a shoestring anyway. And now yeah. we have this crisis, so they're just yeah. not equipped to deal with it.
0: You had to wait a good month or two. To even start getting payments, so they're having to re- rejig that part of it.
2: There was a the 42-day limbo you used to have to go through six six weeks, <laughs> I think it was, yeah. um,
0: out in the desert. <laughs> and then the second part of the unemployment service system is the so-called—I can never say it without air quotes—you know—the employment services. They're the people that make sure you're fulfilling your mutual obligations. So I'll be interested to see if all these uh, people who've just been kicked off, you know, out of Qantas and, or, and the arts industry and so on, are they going to have mutual obligations? Uh, like I, I having to apply so. for 20 jobs? <laughs> so,
2: so Something very interesting came into this because um, Scotty from Marketing kind of um, not prepared for this. And he was talking about uh, having a special benefit available for people who are affected by this that was going to be paying more than the standard start, which, of course, people on start are saying, well... If they need more money to exist, don't you recognise that we've been screaming this for years? It, it, it exposes, again, uh, the neoliberal ineptitude of this government and how they punish people on New Start, the unemployed. They're sort of going, oh, but, but these are different unemployed. These people don't deserve to be unemployed. You people do. It, it exposes how yeah, they yeah. think. If they don't flush the economy with new currency, they're facing a recession. How they manage this is going to reflect very heavily on them. They need to minimise this. They need people with money in their pockets. Otherwise, this, this place is going down the toilet.
0: Yeah, But we might just keep looking at some of these systemic issues. So we've had the existing level of unemployment, which has always been way too high at 4 or 5% plus underemployment, taking it up to 13 or so. Percent. So that's an, a problem already. I'm just
2: going to reiterate that because it sounds like we've got a low unemployment rate of 4 or 5%. Um, but as you and I know, with the way that they define unemployment, uh, you have to work one hour a week and, and you're employed, apparently. You know, that's enough to eke out an existence. So when you factor in underemployment, um, which is to say people who want and need more work are available, the real unemployment figure is somewhere between, we think, about 12 and 15%. And that can become a lot higher in, in um, some regional areas. So all this talk about 4 or 5%, it's bullshit. Uh, unemployment has, has been sitting above 10% in real terms for a very long time.
0: This is one of the things I find amusing. Um, well, it amuses me about economics are numbers and the way numbers happen. And sometimes they sound really small. Like, you know, 5%, what's that? It just sounds really small. But that actually translates to... Six hundred and fifty, seven hundred thousand 700,000 people, 700,000 people that we think should live below the poverty line. You know, it's just outrageous, really. And entirely unnecessary. And uh, those numbers go up for youth unemployment as well. So uh, that's at around 25%. And so really, you know, our young people have been exiled to an economy like Greece at the moment. And yeah. their future is completely devastated.
2: That's also mirrored at the other other end of the age bracket, where if you're over 50, it kind of re- is starting to reflect the same percentages exactly. as those uh, who, who are quite young. If you're too young or you're too old, this economy doesn't really have much use for you. You're
1: listening, you're listening to, to unemployed, unemployed Workers
2: Fight Back, a show all about the economics and experience
0: of unemployment and underemployment. Here on 3CR Community
2: Radio.
0: The other thing that the uh, coronavirus is revealing, perhaps in greater relief now, is the lack of automatic stabilisers. Here's another great economist phrase. I, and when I think of that, I can't help thinking of like some kid with floaties you know, in a swimming pool. Yeah. <laughs> being being automatically stabilised as they get tossed into the pool. One of the uh, the great contributions of modern monetary theory to human thought is this idea of a job guarantee, and I think we'll do a whole show on it at some point, but one of the things a job guarantee is is an automatic stabiliser And these things exist in other forms as well. So in fact, your social security system as a whole can be considered as an automatic stabiliser. So what that means is that the spending the government does into the economy happens automatically as required and it goes up and down as required. So the little floaties you know, are keeping you afloat even though the water level's going up and down.
2: Uh, I'm going to expand on that just a bit because uh, I think it helps to understand that uh, this is where you need to think of at least two sectors, the private sector and the public sector. And so the stabiliser that you're talking about is a stabiliser where the, the, the public sector, which is funded directly by the government, can step in and assist people or find use for people uh, if the private sector is unable to. So if the private sector uh, is shrinking, and it certainly is at the moment because of the um, coronavirus- And it's having but, these um, shocks, yes? Then then the the slack that's created by that, the unemployment slack, the productivity slack, is taken up by the government, which has an infinite capacity to, to take up that slack. It just needs to find uh, some productive use for people. And it doesn't take- too much thought process to figure out what things people could do if they were paid for by the government. There, there's an expansive list of things, you know, environment, the arts, there's there's a bunch of things which benefit society that the government could pay for. So right. so that's the kind of uh, stabilising buffer that you're talking about Where when you're talking about uh, a stabiliser. The government can stabilise the economy by taking up the slack from the private sector when it's in troubled waters.
1: A
0: really interesting thing about that idea of an automatic stabiliser is the automatic part. One of the criticisms that you hear thrown at MMT is that the spending and taxing by government that needs to happen to stabilise the economy has to go through a parliamentary process. And that's just too cumbersome. There's too much arguing. We're not going to get the results. The government might spend too much. It might tax too little, blah, blah, blah. But the thing is that if you've got an automatic stabiliser, none of that criticism applies because the stabilisers will come in automatically as dictated by the state of the economy, not by the parliamentary debate. So if your private sector is all of a sudden not able to employ as many people as we're seeing right now, as we're seeing people laid off left, right and centre, um, uh, then your automatic stabilizer will immediately kick in to give those people income support. So the
2: automatic stabilizer that we have at the moment, you'd say that that's um, a new start or unemployment benefits, and it's, it's right. a pretty piss poor cousin of, of um, <laughs> exactly. uh, some other uh, ideas that are floating around. But that's that's essentially the stabilizer that we have at the moment, and, and that stabilizing mechanism uh, is underfunded and not held in in proper regard.
0: That's right. So that's also contributing to a fragile economy. And the other thing is that is contributing to it is the level of household debt as a result of governments attempting to run a surplus. So they've run the surplus off the back of households. And, and on top of that, you've got a defunded education sector, an improperly funded and incentivized energy sector. So, of course, don't forget we've still got a climate crisis going on, which is related to our energy usage
2: our economy which we're uh, in the analogy we're calling is a boxer is is homeless he's underfed uh he's he's he hasn't got a very good health plan because because he's um uh, he can't afford uh, private health insurance uh the the boxer the economy is in a bit of a mess it's not it's not, not in a very good very good shape to handle um, any sort of uh crisis such as what's uh just occurred um, and this is due to a whole range of systemic problems that have been uh, introduced into our uh, economy via um, a number of governments, the the conservatives are always much worse at um, looking after our our boxer our economy than the um uh, than the more progressive um, parties are. But the progressive parties haven't been that progressive to tell you the truth. They've been uh, held hostage by neoliberal policies and have adopted them. Haven't fought hard enough. If you ask me to um to shake them off. But but I can sit here and and whinge and moan about this, and uh, it's not very effective. Um, This this kind of uh, message is sent far more succinctly by uh, the Cable Ties, who we have heard from before, and uh, they have a song which is called Say What You Mean, uh, which puts this so much better than I could ever hope to do. Uh, However, language warning, uh, they don't mince their words.
0: They're pulling on the boots in Brazil and wiping off the eggshells in Moorabbin.
2: Fascism's on the march and we say, yeah, nah. Yeah is
1: a new weekly program on 3CR dedicated to tracking this rise in Australia, Alta and all around our increasingly warm little globe. Every Thursday at 4.30pm, we'll be talking to writers
0: and fighters about some angry blighters. we do
1: the fascist group.
2: Okay, so just before the ENR yeah, nah show promo, we heard from the Cable Ties, who uh, I love, love that driving bass, fantastic. But let's get back to our boxing analogy. So, so the economy, which we're calling the boxer, has received this left, a couple of rights.
0: Let's look at how we might help this poor fellow. <laughs> and in economist speak, that's going to be about how you target. The spending, the government's going to have to spend. Even uh, Scott Morrison and Josh Frydenberg are recognising that. We can see that because they're off- offering what's called stimulus packages.
2: Which which is incorrect. Uh, you, you hear about these stimulus packages. It's not stimulus packages uh, this time. It's support packages. These are survival packages.
0: So what I'm understanding from the MMT economists is that they don't like using the word stimulus when it comes to talking about how to deal with the current situation with our poor old boxer. And I'm thinking that that's because a stimulus is actually about trying to increase demand, and we can't go willy-nilly now trying to increase demand. So, for example, you wouldn't want to stimulate more desire for toilet paper right now. (laughs) So... (laughs) So, stimulus is technically, I think, not the economic approach. And there's almost no word for it because we're new in this situation, but a support package is probably a much better way of thinking about it. So, if we're looking at at how we might evaluate these packages that have come out, the 17 billion and then the 66 and then gosh knows what more, in terms of their magnitude, in terms of the size, as far as I can tell, they seem to be about right. But the question then becomes, what are they spending the money in? In other words, economists talk about it in terms of targeting. So how are they targeting that spending? Where's it go? That's right. And what you do is you go back to your diagnosis. So you go, okay, there was a a left hook first. That was the supplier shock. That was your companies that are supplying things that we want, like food and, and hand sanitizers and masks and so on. That's a fairly Easy case of some of that short term debt relief that was placed into the first package. So that's about tying over your businesses, but that's got to be the minor part. That's not going to be the main part of what you try to do. And this is where it gets really interesting again when you start talking about supply, the people selling the stuff, and demand, the people buying the stuff. The demand is, you know, often equated a little bit with with workers. And so whenever you see something being talked about as let's help out the supply side, that's kind of code in a way for let's help out business. And when they talk about let's help out the demand side, that's kind of code for let's help out the workers. So that's another way of identifying where where your economist might be aligned with ideologically. (laughs) So it's really fun. It's actually really fun. Once you get to know these codes, it's really fun to start reading the media and start seeing, you know, what are they really saying? So anyway, that first shock, that left hook, you do a bit of uh, supply side support to make sure that you're not going to lose all your small and medium-sized businesses Uh, and they're doing that in the form of tax relief and so on. Then your second shock, the demand shock, which is where people are already being laid off and so they're not going to spend as much. Now this is where the majority of your immediate first aid uh, support package has to go and that, for example, we've seen in terms of the uh, increase in new Newstart um, because now we're going to see a whole lot more people going on to start, so it's been increased only temporarily and it's also going to be seen in the form of, for example, it could be seen in the form of ensuring that workers get paid sick leave uh, and then businesses maybe could get a tax credit back for that. So it's basically ensuring that people have got an income just to look after their everyday needs, their need to put a roof over their heads and pay for their their basic necessities,
2: Okay, so we're talking about uh, measures that can be taken to remedy the situation, and there are some tangible and immediate things that uh, can and should be done, such as uh, increasing new start and making it far more available to a population which is uh, quickly becoming unemployed, Uh, and that just keeps the the oil, that oils the machine as as it's going. If you don't oil it, it's going to fall over, and uh, even the Morrison (laughs) government um, understands that, so they will... Uh, stump yes. up money so that people can pay the rent, can pay their mortgages, can buy food, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And that will apply to the, the casualized workforce. Uh, and you can see that they're already doing it. Something yes. that they would never even dreamed of doing uh, had the economy been ticking over just like it does. But when push exactly. comes to shove… They actually have to become a little bit socialist, and uh, they have to um,
0: turn into and, MMTers, reluctantly, kicking and screaming all the way.
2: Well, and the reason they have to do that is because if they want their their mates in business and the world healed to stay in existence, and uh, you know, just a simple example, um, landlords and and property developers, if they want to receive rent, um, they need people who can afford to pay rent. And if, if somebody's unemployed, uh, all of a sudden, uh, the government needs to step in and help them out so that they can pay their rent to look after. Uh, the government's real agenda, which is looking after the well-heeled mates.
0: Do you think their uh, self-interest will extend to understanding that the well-being of one person depends on the well-being of everyone?
2: <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I, I, I seriously think the, uh, this conservatives and neoliberals do not give two hoots about uh, ordinary workers, only in terms of how they can serve and make their, their, their business uh, Buddies, but doesn't richer doesn't and richer.
0: this virus show you that if one person gets sick, we all get sick? Isn't that the lesson? <laughs>
2: yeah, but it's but but neoliberals are all about economic polarization. They want to see the rich mm-hmm. get richer, and they mm-hmm. see a natural consequence of that as, of the poor getting poorer. And we'll just touch on this with the with employment rate. The reason the unemployment rate is as high as what it is is not because it needs to be other than the fact that it keeps a downward pressure on wages, and that. Makes the people who run businesses happy because they can uh, increase their profits. They don't care about people struggling. Uh, they they like to see people struggling because it means that the the profits are are going to stay up. So in terms of this current crisis, they'll do the bare minimum to make sure that things can tick over. Um, oh, but, Kevin, but need... you're
0: destroying my illusions here. So you are saying that this <laughs> <laughs> that this current increase in new start is not about caring.
2: Of course not. It's it's about uh, making sure making sure that people can pay their rent so that um so that oh. the landlords can can stay wealthy. But this leads on to some more idealistic uh, structural changes. So, um, what should be done?
0: The MMT economists have been happily discussing this lately, and uh, from what I can tell one of the main things, one of the first underpinning things that should happen that's foundational to really correcting some of these long-term issues as well as the shorter-term immediate crisis is to introduce what they call a job guarantee. So we mentioned that already. It's this genius idea because uh, I've come to understand that what macroeconomics does, what it tries to do is – Find out a way of balancing the need to control inflation, and they call that price stability. That's one of their phrases, and also to have full employment. And up until now, nobody had quite figured out how to do that. Not even John Maynard Keynes had figured that one out. And guess who did?
2: Bill Mitchell. Course.
0: Yep, up there in Newcastle. Homegrown Australian economist. So he's figured out this thing. It's called a job guarantee and it's very simple in concept, which is it's a universal offer um, to anyone who wants to work. They, they can have a job immediately in this job guarantee program at a fixed wage, which is a socially inclusive wage. That means that once the movie's open, you could afford to go to the movies, you can afford to put a roof over your head, you can afford to uh, send your kids to school, you know, with all the school supplies. So it's a socially inclusive wage and that would actually stabilize your economy and deliver full employment.
2: That's um a very interesting concept uh, a lot of people would say that that's going to be inflationary uh, there might be an element of truth in that insofar as um, things like the gig economy people uh, riding around on push bikes delivering food and, and uber drivers etc if they're faced with a choice between working for who knows what an hour delivering uh, bits and pieces or regular work which is um, government sponsored and pays a living wage they're probably going to stop being a an Uber driver and and start working for the government, which means that your food delivery prices, et cetera, will rise because if somebody wants food delivered, they're going to have to compete with uh, a basic living wage, which is guaranteed by the job guarantee.
0: Yes. Yeah, so be very careful about using that word inflation. It's one of those scary words. And that's why I think the economists like to make a distinction between inflation and price increases. So... The job guarantee, if you do roll it out, you might see some price increases in, in different places, like you say, the delivery drivers, but uh, that's not inflation. So inflation is consecutive price increases where it happens over time and it happens again and again and again. And you you definitely would not see that with a job guarantee. And the reason you won't see that is because the job guarantee is in fact an anti-inflationary mechanism. And the way that works is that it's a fixed price. So um, there's no bidding up that price of labour.
2: So you'd see an initial adjustment uh, as prices stabilised, um, but there would be a transition period.
0: Right. So it's, it's anti-inflationary, and one of the words that economists come up with. It's also counter-cyclical. So it's anti-inflationary and counter-cyclical, and it's counter-cyclical because it kicks in when the private sector is not doing so well, And then it ratchets back when the private sector is doing well. And why why that happens is because people will move in and out of that job guarantee program depending on how the economy is doing. So right now, the economy is obviously not doing too well because it's facing the left and the right, right hook. And so more people would move into a job guarantee and then as the economy picks up again and businesses are recovering, people will move out of the job guarantee because they will be attracted by the higher wages that the private sector can offer.
2: The job guarantee would uh, therefore need its price set as a, as a basic living wage, as the, as the minimum wage, and a minimum wage set at a level which is a livable wage, but not one that's going to compete adversely with the private sector.
0: Yeah, it's such a win-win situation. It offers workers what they need and it offers businesses what they need. So, like, what's not to love? (laughs)
2: Yeah.
0: 3CR Community Radio, 855 a.m.
1: Subscribe.
2: So the job guarantee to me sounds like a very very practical and very sensible um, solution to stabilise a lot of our economic woes, especially for normal workers. But there's uh, quite possibly a range of other more progressive and idealistic ideas. They might sound fanciful, but um, things over time happen. We've seen our economy over 40 years go from what was a reasonably well-functioning economy to this neoliberal, what I'd call a hellhole, where we have the, the extreme rich and people living on the streets. What are some other things that over time might be used as progressive ideas to improve uh, an economy to make it work for us?
0: Well, I don't even know that you'd call it fanciful, Kevin, because what you're going to see soon is the need, for example, for the airlines to be bailed out. Now, do you bail them out or do you just buy them and call them nationalised assets?
2: The airlines used to be owned by the government, uh, exactly. and now they've been privatised, and they can't survive in the, in the current environment. So why not just return it to something that was perfectly normal uh, not so long ago?
1: And
0: think about how we are all now so reliant on the internet. We are all isolated in our little bunkers here, and the internet is what's keeping you and me talking, and it's what's going to keep everyone functioning. Now, that is an essential service. Why why wouldn't you want to nationalise that to make sure it keeps running?
2: It sort of half is. Um, The NBN is a government-owned entity, which then has private uh, sector interference with its delivery, et cetera. And as we've seen the neoliberals do again, the fellow who uh, supposedly invented the internet, Malcolm Turnbull, took took over (laughs) what was quite a promising program. uh, And we now are going to find out just how good this NBN is because everybody's going to be using it. I've got to say, this interview that we're doing, Anne, um, is probably going to have some glitches in it because I've noticed our connection has been a little bit irregular.
0: We'll blame the neoliberals for that as well. So there are a few ideas now floating around about how this uh, major crisis certainly opens the way to actually undoing some of that privatisation that's gone on, including with the banking industry. I think if people start seeing what the possibilities and the role of government are, they can start seeing what the role of public ownership is as well. One of my favourite hobbies now, Kevin, in all of this while I sit at home is to read the newspaper whenever it's talking about economics because it's just a fascinating world of sometimes outright lies, sometimes cognitive dissonance.
2: Ignorance and misinformation.
0: It's, it's just hilarious. It's like some awful soap opera. And I've sort of found a great article. goes back to the March the 17th and it's written by uh, Shane Wright, I think's one of the regular commentators in The Age on economics, and Rob Harris. Oh, they're anticipating uh, Scott Morrison's second uh, stimulus, and they describe it as a second taxpayer-funded package which could be delivered this week. It dumbfounds
2: me, Anne. It dumbfounds me. We have senior journalists who report about taxpayer-funded packages who therefore have no understanding of how currency is creating and how the economy works. Taxpayers are not paying for these packages. Taxpayers do not pay for any government spending. We need to reiterate this time and time again.
0: Mm -hmm. Not one red cent.
2: (laughs) Not one red cent. State government, yes. Federal government, no. Okay, Because currency is created by the Australian government It is spent into existence by exactly the packages that they're uh, creating now and every other cent uh, dollar that was introduced into the Australian economy. Every dollar spent into the economy is a new dollar. It's not borrowed. It's not funded by taxpayers. It's not shifted from another department. It is created by the Australian government. I can see steam coming
0: out of your ears. (laughs) It drives me
2: insane. How can a senior journalist who works for any media organisation – be so misinformed about how the economy actually runs.
0: Yeah, stop calling it a taxpayer-funded stimulus, please. That's all we ask.
2: <sighs> yes, it's a uh, It's created by the government. That's their job. Their job is to create currency and release it into the economy as required. And if they do it properly, everything runs beautifully. And if they do it poorly the wheels fall off. And what we're seeing is a lovely example of of what happens when a system's under stress uh, and a government that is doing everything that it criticised the previous government for doing during the GFC and then some uh, because Mm -hmm. it has to. That's its job. Okay, it's been an interesting discussion this weekend because there's been a lot to talk about, but we'll have to get out of here now because uh, there's other shows coming up. Uh, So see you later. See you for the next show, which is the second Friday of each month.
0: See you, Kevin. been listening to Unemployed Workers Fight Back.
2: Join us the second Friday of each and every month as part of the Sewer Show on 3CR.
0: We thank all our guests, and I thank you, Kevin.
2: And I thank you, Anne. The pleasure was all mine.
0: Oh no, I insist, the pleasure was mine.
2: Well, it wasn't all yours. I mean, I had a fair degree of pleasure on this show. It was a very pleasurable for me.
0: Oh no, Kevin, I was highly pleasured.
2: You looked like you were having fun, and it looked very pleasing to you, but I'm just wondering whether I had more fun than you did, so so I had, so had a lot, lot of fun, it was very, very
0: pleasurable
1: Around the corner, no one's spare time I'm the child that never.